our first off-season edition of March Madness 365. And in this edition of our podcast, we're going to talk to the new head coaches at Louisville and Xavier. Certainly a strong connection between the two because Travis Steele was the longtime assistant of Chris Mack. A very interesting time for Chris Mack to make the move. Xavier was a number one seed, won the Big East regular season title, but the Louisville opportunity is one that he just could not turn down. You'll hear from Chris about all the ties that he's got to Louisville and certainly that part of the Ohio Valley of this country and why he believes Louisville could be still a national title contender with him at the helm as he takes over for David Padgett and also, of course, for Rick Patino. For Travis Steele, uh, this was a long time coming. It's Xavier sort of doing what Gonzaga and other programs have done of keeping uh, it in the family where you've got coaches who know what it's like to run a program uh, such as Xavier, where they've had consistency of coaching. I mean, you could look at Xavier, Butler, Gonzaga uh, as great examples where that has worked. Uh, Certainly, uh, Michigan State is one of the ultimate examples uh, where um, the baton was passed from one Spartan to another, and there was tremendous success. I want to direct your your attention also to NCAA.com, where I've got our first sort of look at what the Power 36 could be once we know who's actually staying in the NBA draft and who's going to go back to school. There's a slew of players declaring upwards of close to 100 for the NBA draft, and they really should because under the new rules, you can declare for the NBA draft multiple times. You can go if invited to the Chicago pre-draft combine, and you can go and work out for an NBA team that's all being covered by those NBA teams and the NBA for the draft combine. You, If you don't Get invited to the combine. That should be an indication, a red flag, that you're not going to get drafted, that you should return to school. Uh, Look, the agent rules could certainly change, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about that later this month uh, when Condoleezza Rice, uh, the former Secretary of State, comes out with her commission report. That'll be on April 25th, I believe. Uh, That'll be in Indianapolis. But uh, And there could be changes in whether or not you can have an agent uh, in terms of an official agent, one that is actually paying you. or you're paying him uh, to represent you. Uh, so the, the relationship certainly could change hands with money under the new way that this could certainly uh, occur. But until then, if you don't sign with an agent, then uh, you can return to college. Uh, there also could be a tweak going on where if you're not drafted, there could be a change where you could be allowed to go back to school. That's one other uh, possibility that's being discussed, although I think the NABC, the Coach Association, would like to have sort of a word in that because they would not know that until late June, early July, and you have to have a scholarship open for that. So one thing I did was look at some of the top leagues in the country as to whether or not uh, some of these schools could be in the Power 36 once we know. And so I'm just going to rattle a couple of these off. I'm not going to give everything away because I want to direct you to NCAA.com to find it. But in the American, uh, Central Florida, UCF, could really be the team to beat. And that all depends on whether or not uh, Aubrey Dawkins, B.J. Taylor, Taco Fall, if they all return to UCF, they could be the team to beat in the American for sure. In the A-10, uh, look for potentially St. Joe's or St. Louis. Uh, I'm not giving up on Davidson because they've got an unbelievable talent uh, returning, uh, really a, a real special player that I think people need to, to remember, and his name is Kellen Grady. He was a freshman this season. Uh, Peyton Aldridge was their senior, but Grady could be a big-time performer for the Wildcats next season. In the ACC, 
Duke is the team to beat. Uh, they've got the top three players in this class. But as we know, not all the one and dones can deliver you a national championship. And then after that, it's the regular cast of characters, Carolina, Virginia, Louisville, Virginia Tech, and others. In the Big East, Villanova, we've got to wait and see what happens. Then the national champs, how many of the guys go to the NBA draft? I would assume Jalen Brunson. And Mikel Bridges, and probably Omari Spellman, but we don't know. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, I would think, would come back, but let's wait and see what happens there. Uh, Xavier, who you'll hear from the past and present coaches, uh, they certainly could be in the mix as well. In the Big Ten, I think Michigan, uh, depending on who stays and goes, could be at the top of the heap there. I think Maryland could certainly surge to the top. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, I think if they're healthy, they'll be a team to beat. There's no question about that. Nebraska, what happens with their uh, early entries. So there's a lot of shuffling that could go on in the Big Ten. In the Big 12, the Sunflower State, Kansas and K-State, they're going to be the two teams to beat uh, next season, and they'll be in the Power 36 for sure. And Iowa State, they've got a very special rising sophomore. We had a great freshman year in Lindell Wigginton, so he'll be there. The Valley, Loyola Chicago, loses some big names, and Dante Ingram, Ingram and Andre Jackson and Ben Richardson, but Clayton Custer, Lucas Williamson, and Cameron Crutwig and Marcus Towns are all back, so why not? Let's tab them. And in the Mountain West Conference, Nevada, once again, if their guys return, Cody and Caleb Martin, Jordan Caroline, then the Wolfpack, they'll be right at the top and back in the NCAA tournament. Out in the Pac-12, which really had an awful postseason, look for Washington, which turns all five starters. Uh, they will be the team to beat. Yes, the Huskies under Mike Hopkins. They'll be the number one team in the Pac-12. And then after that, I could, I could see UCLA, Possibly Oregon, Arizona State. I wouldn't give up on Colorado because of McKinley Wright the fourth. I love him at the point. I've been talking about him all year. So there's a lot of a lot of teams that could circle and cycle through there. In the SEC, upwards of eleven teams could think that they're NCAA tournament teams when the season starts. And of course that's led by Kentucky, possibly Auburn, Tennessee. Uh, Texas A&M, if their guys come back, LSU had a great recruiting class. So did Vanderbilt. Uh, Mississippi State made it to the NIT Final Four. Alabama, let's see what happens with them uh, in terms of whether or not uh, all their guys that could potentially leave, leave for the NBA. And then the WCC. Gonzaga's going to be a top 10 team. No question. Yeah, they lost Jonathan Williams and Silas Melson, but Zach Norvell, Rui Hachimura, Josh Perkins, Killian Tilly, Corey Kirspert, and Brandon Clark sitting out. They got a squad that could get deep into the NCAA tournament yet again. So uh, that sort of sets the table for our interviews. And I want to get to these uh, two. They're not Chris Mack, a longtime head coach, but in a new spot in a high profile school in Louisville and Travis Steele. I want you to hear from him first from Xavier. He's taking over for Chris Mack. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, new Xavier head coach, Travis Steele. And Travis, uh, Xavier has a long proud tradition of Hiring from within, it has worked uh, exceptionally well, and they're not the only place that's done this. I mean, Butler obviously has done a great job of this. Is uh, you know Gonzaga? I could go on and on. Uh, why do you think uh, the Xavier way, if we can sort of steal that phrase from Butler, <laughs> has been so successful? Yeah, you know, I think when Greg, um, Greg Christopher, athletic director, met with me right after Chris and basically told the team that he was going to Louisville. And he was very transparent with me about the process and everything. And I said, hey, he has to find the best coach for Xavier. And I respected that process. And, you know, obviously we do have a, have a long history of promoting from within. 
I didn't want that just to be the reason that I got the job. You know, I've been here for 10 years and I feel like I've been on a 10 year interview, but at the same time, I, I wanted to show my vision, how I could be maybe a little bit different from Chris and Sean Miller, who I've worked for. So we're going to do a lot of the things similar. That's for dang sure. Uh, we've got a lot of success, but you know, I'm going to have to put my own stamp on the program as well. But I do think the continuity that we've had, the familiarity, the guys have in the locker room with the coaches and the system, the terminology, it just makes for an easier transition. You know, there's no reason to take a step back to take a step forward. And, uh, and I think that's been big for our, our, our continued success. So how are you going to be different? You know, I, I got a different personality than Chris and Sean and, and Thadmon. I've been able to work for the last three head coaches, Xavier. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'm a little funnier, Andy, <laughs> than, uh, than Chris. I'm a, bit, a little bit more lighthearted. And I'm going to have my own personality. Well, stylistically, Andy, we're going to play very similar. You know, I appreciate everything that Chris did and allowed me to do as an assistant coach because I think it prepared me to, boy, to be a head coach. You know, he allowed me to design the offense, to call the offense, to, you know, over the last five years. And, and that allowed me to grow as a coach. You know, so stylistically, we're going to be very similar. You know, practice, you know, for me, no, I'm all about competing, and uh, competing brings the best out of one another. Iron sharpens iron. You know, we're always going to go good versus good. There's always going to be a winner and a loser to everything we do. You know, practice is like the sacred ground for our program moving forward. But we're going to do things a lot similar. But you know how it is. Like, again, I got to put my. I got to be genuine. I got to be my own. Uh, be comfortable with who I am, and, and our guys will see that. You know, it's interesting. Those that cover the sport know who you are. But, you know, you didn't have like a national profile, not that a lot of assistants do, but, you know, I think you've sort of done it. I don't know if this was done on purpose or not. I'm just curious, like that you were a little under the shadow. Now, Chris, you know, certainly did have, you know, made himself through social media and various forms, uh, you know, was definitely it was out there. Uh, you know, it wasn't a self-promoter or anything like that. But, I mean, everyone knew who Chris Mack was. You knew his family. You know, so he, he didn't hide anything in that regard. Was that by choice? Was that sort of the way you guys do things, that you were sort of a little bit more tucked in the back? You know, like my whole mantra here for the last 10 years is to make Sean Miller's job as easy as possible and, and to make Chris Mack's job as easy as possible. You know, whatever that took. You know, my, my idea was he going into saying, hey, I wanted to be the next head coach of Zadia. Um, You know, I just wanted to work as hard as I possibly could to move this program forward. And if that meant kind of being in the, uh, you know, in the backseat a little bit, I I was fine with that. You know, we all have aspirations and, and, you know, my dream was always to be a a head coach at this level, but I was just going to kind of put my head down and work as hard as I possibly can and, and help our guys become better players and better, better human beings. You know, the Xavier sort of rep of late, um, has been, you know, to be a team that, um, I wouldn't say in, intimidating, but I mean, there was an aggressiveness and you knew when you were playing Xavier, it was going to be a physical game. You, they were going to leave the, and maybe that was a little, you know, I mean, obviously that's just the way JP McCur McCur played, you know, and maybe he was a little bit more of that personality, but Chris certainly, you know, was demonstrative at times during the game, maybe not off the court. He's a little more reserved off, but on the court. So that edge, that, that, that Xavier has played with that has been to its advantage. Where did that come from, and, and how much do you think that will continue? I think that's part of Chris's personality. I think he's an ultra competitor. And, but I also think, you know, Andy, I've, I, 
I've had an affinity for Xavier Banks long before I even came here. And you think about the great players that Xavier's had, whether it was Byron Larkin, whether it was Dave West, Tyrone Hill, Brian Grant. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And all of those guys have a chip on their shoulder. All those guys have an edge to them, have a toughness level. And I think that's what our program's known for, and that's what it's going to continue to be known for because that's what we recruit. So in practice, I mean, was that, you know, you, you said obviously it was through competition, but how much was that instilled to sort of go at each other and so that that way that competitiveness carried over into the games? I have a lot. It was, it was, it was designed intentionally. You know, I could tell you that, you know, I, we want to foster competition. We want to foster toughness and a togetherness. But we want guys, like I said, iron sharp as iron. We're going to go good versus good in practice. I could be a scout team over on the right side, and then the left side we got the starters and, the, you know, the top guys. We, we do a really good job, I think, of fostering that environment. You know, we do what we call, Andy, it's called the gold jersey. You know, so, you know, we have a million student managers, which they do a terrific job for our program, and they keep all these statistics during practice. And at the end of the week, you know, whoever has the best stats gets to wear a gold jersey the next week. So they stick out. And, you know, what we do is we put the TV, we have a TV screen out of practice that kind of up, updates it daily so they know exactly where they are. And our guys pay attention, you know, because if you want to earn minutes in the game, well, then you got to be a good practice player. And, uh, and our guys know that. So they, practice is really, really important to them. So, Travis, you know, you now have a staff to hire. You were, as you said, to Chris Mack, to Sean Miller, even before that, to Thad Mata. I mean, I know you weren't the number one behind Thad Mata or, or Sean, obviously, because Chris, you know, the guys had stepped up, but you were there. You know, assistants went with Chris. Uh, how do you, uh, Make sure that you've got the same sort of relationship and staff that, you know, that, you, that you'll need that those previous coaches had and essentially you. Yeah, I, you know, I love to read books and, I, you know, I'm a big Urban Meyer guy. And he, uh, he talked about in one of his books, the most important thing you can do as a head coach is hire a really good staff. You know, and, and uh, I want to empower my assistant coaches to coach, to deal with the media, recruit. You know, do everything, touch every area of the program. That way, when they get a chance to be their own head coach, you know, they're ready. They're going to be successful. And putting a staff together, Andy, I really believe is like putting an orchestra together. You can have two of the best saxophone players, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I only need one of those. Now, now we need a, everybody's got to complement one another personality-wise, you know, what they bring to the table on the court, their strengths and weaknesses, and recruiting areas as well. So, you know, I'm in that process of hiring a staff right now, and I'm, I'm not going to be rushed. I'm going to take my time, make sure that we get the right people here that can help our players on and off the court. All right, so Villanova's won the second national championship in three seasons. This was the first year they didn't win the regular season Big East title, Xavier did, as you know, obviously. And uh, uh, they won the Big East tournament title, and then they didn't lose the rest of the way. They still could potentially get, you know, wiped out by the draft. We'll wait and see what happens. But... Uh, they're the team of record. They're the one to beat, just like sort of Kansas in the Big 12. You did beat them in the regular season, but ultimately not uh, in the postseason. So how do you topple them? And, and I say when you beat them, I know you didn't beat them on the court, but you beat them for the title because I know you didn't. You still didn't beat them this season. You know, we, we've kind of modeled our program over the When we first made the transition, Andy, from the A-10 to the, to the Big East, it was like, wow, I couldn't believe how, like, uh, 
how their overall size of team, their guards are big. They don't have necessarily like, uh, you know, the 6'10", 6'11", traditional post players, but just how versatile their lineups were defensively and offensively. And, uh, you know, we've tried to model ourselves off of them. I think we've recruited towards that to our versatility on both ends of the floor. But, you know, they got a great culture. And our culture's come a long way. Chris Mack did a terrific job developing a really good culture here. I think we got to continue to improve in that area. You know, there's always room for improvement. We got to recruit better, to be honest as well. I think we got to take that even to another level, Andy. You know, they get really, really good players, but they also get players that really fit their culture. And I think that's the key to the whole whole process. Michigan was the same way. You know, they're both in the national championship game, and they're not necessarily getting all these five star guys. You know, they're getting guys that fit who they are style of play-wise and off-the-court-wise. And I think we got to continue to improve in those areas. All right, so you lose Makura. Uh, Trayvon Blewett had a sensational uh, year at Xavier as well. How do you look at what you got coming back? You know, I think we have a chance to be one of the best defensive teams that I've ever been around. You know, we have great length. We have great quickness. We got great versatility. You know, we got Quentin Good, Paul Scruggs. Both those guys played a lot of minutes at the guard positions this past year. I thought Paul really came on late in the year. You know, he'll, he'll only be a sophomore. Najee Marshall was on the all-freshman uh, Big East team, uh, rookie Big East team this past year. He's a six foot seven, you know, kind of versatile wing. Um, you know, Kaiser Gates will be a senior. He's six foot eight. He can guard one through five. I mean, with those, with those guys, I think our versatility, those guys can all guard at least one through four with their toughness level and their size and their quickness level. And then we have Tyreek Jones back in the, in the, to be in the middle. Who I think Tyreek's got a, he's got a big off season ahead of him body wise. Got a, he's got to trip down his weight a little bit, but you know, Tyreek is, is the best teammate. He's unselfish. He's the pulse of our team. And, uh, and he plays with an edge and toughness that we need in the big East. So I think we got, you know, last hard was a freshman last year. And he didn't play a lot because of Trayvon Blue, and JP Kira. Who's really talented at the score the ball. So we got some a really good base, um, and we got some talented kids coming in, and I think it really build depth for our team this year. Well, Travis, congratulations, and I, I know we look forward to talking to you uh, for not just the months, but the years to come. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Andy. Up next here on March Madness 365, new Louisville head coach Chris Mack. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, new Louisville head coach, Chris Mack. Uh, Chris, unbelievable success at Xavier. I mean, Xavier blood runs right through you. And you know that program better than anyone. Why was the timing right to leave now? Well, I don't know so much if it was timing, Andy, as, as it was opportunity that, that I saw at Louisville. You know, I think, um, you know, when I think about Louisville basketball and the history uh, of the program and you know, multiple national championships and, and final fours and, you know, Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, it was just too good of an opportunity uh, for me to pass up. And so it was incredibly difficult to, to leave Xavier, to leave a, uh, a group of young men that I loved coaching. Uh, but I also know they're going to be in great hands. And, uh, you know, this isn't something that, um, you know, you're ever going to see me do again. This, this is my last stop, and I, I'm really looking forward to making Louisville home. Wow. I mean, so you know that for sure. I mean, you want this to be your last stop. Well, unless they, unless they kick me out here in the next uh, season or so. Um, no, this is it. 
this is it. And I, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there are, there are programs out there that uh, I think one could point to that say, Hey, those, those are destination programs. And, uh, for me, uh, there aren't many of those out there. And, and this one, um, this one's a special one. I'm, I'm excited about being the head coach. All right. So let's look at that. Obviously, uh, Chris, your wife is from there. So you've got family sort of a pull there. Uh, you are from that area. You know that area very well. I mean, you don't have to get on a plane to move, which is pretty unique uh, that you can just have the moving trucks drive a, a short distance from the Cincinnati area. Yep. Uh, and actually, uh, I'm sure at this time of the year, uh, it's pretty convenient as the kids are finishing up school that you don't you, you could actually probably I mean, you could almost commute. I mean, how, how is this working over the next couple of months? Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a little different. You know, uh, Christy and, and the kids will stay back in Cincinnati and, and, they, and they go to you know, finish up school in the fall there in northern Kentucky at Blessed Sacrament. And, um, you know, for the most part, uh, I'm situated right here in Louisville. You know, we have our April contact and uh, evaluation periods coming up. So uh, regardless of whether I was sitting in Cincinnati or Louisville, I'm going to be on the run and on the move. And uh, so it just sort of gives me a chance to really get uh, inundated with the program and, and, and get it on solid footing with a coaching staff and a relationship with the players. Um, I don't worry about all the personal stuff. That'll, that'll sort its way out over time. But, um, you know, in the interim, I am here. And, uh, you know, I am spending every single night I can in Louisville until uh, – until duty calls me to go recruit. And so um, that's just sort of the way we're, we're operating right now. But also just I'm, I'm just curious, though, because obviously you, you uh, we've talked many times about uh, you've got great balance in looking at another opportunity. And we know the history of Louisville. Obviously, it's a tremendous job and and everything about it. But how much easier was it? knowing that there was a familiarity with the area, uh, that it wasn't going to pull you, you know, across the country out to the West Coast or down in the deep south or something like that? Well, sure. The family part of it is is certainly a big part of it for me. I have my in-laws here. So Christy's parents are right here in Louisville and, you know, they've got cousins. And I think the transition for them will be uh, an easier one uh, than, than maybe it would be if I moved to, say, California. But, you know, at the same time, it was, it was really viewed more as a professional decision um, than anything, Andy, because, you know, I also recruit in the same area, in the same breadbasket. And so, uh, you know, kids from Indianapolis and kids from uh, Chicago and kids from Atlanta, you know, areas that we've tried to recruit when we were at Xavier are going to be the same exact footprint and same exact areas that we recruit while we're at Louisville. And that was a big part of why I think this is the best fit for me as a head coach. And so I, I couldn't be more excited because I think it's going to be a, uh, as seamless of a transition as one could make um, when changing, you know, head coaching positions in college basketball. So I know, you know, we said it wasn't about the timing, but and you guys have a great core. Travis Steele does now coming back to Xavier. Uh, but it, it does seem like a little bit more of an easier transition maybe for you in that, you know, you, you've ridden there for a long time, you know, decades worth and, and, and plus obviously as an assistant and more. But, you know, Trevon Blewett, J.P. McCura, that group, you were number one seed. You won the Big East regular season title. Uh, when you look back at sort of as you are closing, and I know it didn't end the way you wanted with the, the loss to Florida State, but can, can you look back and say, you know what, we had a great run, it, I, I can leave on a high, and we accomplished so much by finally sort of cracking through with Villanova and winning the Big East regular season title? Yeah, I mean, I think when, when I left Xavier, or I'm sorry, when Sean Miller left Xavier and uh, I was promoted to head coach, Sean left the program in, uh, in great shape. 
You know, we had we had a talented roster. We had experienced. We had veterans. We had guys that knew what Xavier basketball was all about. And I feel like in in some ways uh, that that's that's where Travis is today. You know, he's got a great young nucleus, uh, but certainly at the same time, you know, I, I lost uh, three seniors that have been with me all four years that helped. Uh, really cement a culture, uh, the transition into the Big East. They had had so much success. Really hard to see that team uh, fall short at the end. You know, felt like we, we controlled the whole game against Florida State and then uh, had it go the wrong direction in the last four minutes. But it won't take away from uh, the time I spent with those guys. And I would be lying if I said I felt like, uh, you know, we left a little bit on the table. You know, we were, we were trying to get to that final four and it didn't happen. And uh, something I always, uh, I always maybe struggle with, but at the same time, when this opportunity presented itself, it was, uh, it was one I could not pass up. So, what's the atmosphere like at Louisville after, you know, for lack of a better term, I mean, it was a little chaotic uh, uh, with what happened at the end with Rick Pitino and, you know, David Paget did a great job of, um, you know, steering the ship amid some murky and troubled waters, but uh, they ended up having a solid season, getting to the NIT, almost getting to the NCAA tournament. Um, what kind of atmosphere are you walking into right now? Well, I think I'm walking into one where uh, and the players are excited. You know, I've, I've just finished all my player meetings here in the first couple of days on the job, and uh, each, each one of them to a man are excited about next season. And, uh, you, know, it's, uh, you know, it's no secret that, that Louisville fell on hard times here in the last year or so and, and, and sort of the, the cloud that uh, has been over the program. But, you know, my job isn't to look forward and talk about all the things that have gone on. You know, my job is to be the head basketball coach and, and get our team ready to play next year and, and recruit student athletes that want to be a part of what I think is one of the best programs in, in all college basketball. And so uh, each and every day that goes by, it gets closer to uh, next season, and we're going to work our tails off to make it a great one. Your teams at Xavier had an edge to them. I mean, they played their tails off, you know, physical in a good way, I should say. Thank you. And you guys competed at the highest level. I was talking to, you know, uh, to Travis Steele about this as well, about how that was, that was created in practice. And that competitiveness that obviously you have as an individual, and you, you were able to instill that in, in the players. I mean, obviously, a lot of them obviously had it before they got there. How do you want to make sure that that intensity, that edge, uh, follows you to Louisville? Well, it's by, by everything that we do, you know, whether it's uh, how we lift weights, how we condition, how we practice, you know, what we emphasize. I want guys that, that want to compete in anything they do. And whether that's uh, on the floor, in the classroom, you know, that, that's the way to measure yourself. I mean, how, how are you going to get better if you don't know? who you are and how, how you're doing in comparison to the competition. So uh, Travis is right when he says everything that we do in practice um, is, is, is competitive, is measured. And I, I think that's at least the only way I, I feel comfortable as a head coach in doing things. And, you know, certainly our system and, and, and how we implement things over time is going to be a transition. And it's going to be new to the players and it's our job to teach them as best we can. But uh, it's also something I'm really excited about. You know, and I wouldn't have taken the job if that excitement wasn't there. So you competed against Villanova, and they have arguably been the team of record the last couple of seasons, two national championships in three seasons. How much are you looking forward to the challenge of going up against Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, um, you know, among many others in the ACC? Well, I mean, it's to me, it's arguably the best basketball league in the entire country. And, you know, selfishly, I don't think it's close. 
Um, you know, to say that are you looking forward to playing Duke or Carolina? Uh, I'm looking forward to, to making Louisville basketball as good as we can be. And that, that's going to be our competition, and, and we're not going to shy away from those guys. And we also understand, that, at least I understand, the history and, and tradition and uh, the great players and great coaching staff in this league. So we, we better be ready and we better be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, every day that we get in the gym, uh, we've got to prepare to compete. The three greatest college basketball rivalries, I don't think I'll get an argument here, Duke Carolina, Louisville, Kentucky, and I would go Xavier Cincinnati. We can argue the order. Smart man. Okay. Smart man. We can argue the order. And that one was as intense as it ever has been. Uh, certainly, you know, when you were there and with Mick and even before that with Hugs and uh, whoever was coaching Xavier at the time, um, you know, regardless. Uh, this Louisville, Kentucky happens once, home and home. What was your view sort of from afar of that rivalry and, and you know, now your, uh, your ability to be a part of it? Yeah, I mean, I always felt like it was it was a, it was a fun game to watch. You know, it was always at least you know my memory of it is always around Christmas time, and it seemed like we were always off on Christmas break when you get that two or three day window where your players go home for Christmas, and it seemed like Louisville, Kentucky played about that time every year and had always a chance to sort of well, sit there and not worry about our next game or next opponent or next practice and, and really enjoy it. And obviously, I'm going to be in a different seat. Uh, th- this coming season, but man, am I, am I excited about it? I mean, uh, to me, this is, this is why you play. This is why you coach uh, to be a part of games that are on the on the biggest stage and, and, and the most people care. And uh, man, w- what a rivalry! And I'm just I'm humbled and excited to be a part of it. And lastly, uh, Chris, I'd be remiss if I didn't say or ask: Have you any contact with Rick Pitino, or is there any? Do you need to reach out in any way? Just uh, obviously, as you're taking over a program that. You know, he led, uh, you know, to great heights during his time there. Absolutely. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame coach. And, uh, you know, I actually co- called Coach Patino a couple of times and have exchanged text prior to taking the job and, uh, and since. And uh, I wanted to get his uh, opinion. You know, obviously, there, there are going to be some things with, uh, you know, I think there's an ongoing, uh, you know, court case or one in the works. But um, it wasn't about that. I wanted to get his opinion on the city, uh, the program, you know, any advice. And uh, he's been great to me. And I, I'm, I'm extremely appreciative. He's one of the best coaches uh, in the history of the game. And, and to, uh, to act like he, he wasn't a huge part of what made Louisville so attractive uh, would be disingenuous and wrong. So, yeah, I absolutely uh, reached out. Well, Chris, appreciate it. And I know uh, we'll be talking here in the future. And there's no question that Louisville is going to continue on its trend of being one of the teams to beat in the ACC and certainly a team that's going to be regular in the NCAA tournament. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, you can follow our podcast on all our NCAA.com and Turner.com digital platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at TheAndyCats. Follow me on Instagram at TheRealAndyCats. And as always, thanks for listening.